Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump. We take an honest look at the current administration and we discuss the threats to America, what have been called in other circumstances, the existential threats to America. I emphasize that this morning as I'm talking to you because, to quote Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump is an existential threat to America. All right. Well, she then, must be listening to the podcast. The show to, <laughs> to listen to them. But she's not getting the message right. Anyway, um, and apparently this has been said any uh, any number of times by a lot of people. I looked it up on the Internet. Existential threat, Donald Trump. Hmm, let me see if I can get some numbers on that. You probably can. Anyway, let me go on because uh, since the release of the Mueller report to Congress and the public, we've had time to digest it. We'll talk about at least a piece of it, a couple of pieces of it, today on the show with John Hinderocker from Minneapolis-St. Paul, one of the founders of Powerline. And it is one of the most popular sites on the Internet. And John is the president of the Center of the American Experiment. We'll also hear from my old friend Joe DeGeneva. He's a legal analyst and former U.S. attorney of the District of Columbia. A few thoughts. Uh, boy, it is a busy news time, Claude. I was saying the other day, I'll get into the Mueller stuff, but, you know, the president talks about the border all the time. Mm-hmm. Big, big problems there. Huge problems. Unprecedented. I was in Atlanta recently talking about the opioid problem. More deaths each year, each year of the last four or five years than all the deaths in Vietnam over the wow. whole period of war. The rise of ISIS again, Islamic terrorists, mm-hmm. right? Sri Lanka thing. Mm-hmm. And why did they call the people who were killed worshippers? They were Christians, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, a lot of work for the commander in chief, leader of the free world, and like Gulliver's Travels, they're trying to tie him up in knots. These congressional committees. Mueller report was given. Eighteen lawyers on that who were Clinton supporters, some number like that, big time Clinton supporters, and they found no collusion. As hard as they tried, right, right, inconclusive on obstruction of justice, which means if you were a prosecutor, you wouldn't bring a case. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to go through this again for another two years. Uh, I'll, I'll use a word that uh, hadn't been used. I mean, uh, people have said shameful, ridiculous, political. I will say inconsiderate okay. of the country and an inconsiderate of the need for the president to be able to focus on things that matter the most, mm-hmm. our protection, our security, our borders, our well-being. And I hope they stop. We talk about some of this in more detail uh, in the interview with John Hinderocker. I was going to go on on this, but the interview with John, I think, we'll, we'll, we'll lay it out for people. He's very good and very smart. And we agree on most things. Then we get into politics. We disagree on the thing there. But, uh, you know, about who's going to be the nominee. You'll have to listen to find mm-hmm. out what I think. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. But um, it's a shame what we're going to go through. And I, I need to know, and we'd love to hear from you, dear listener, where do you think the American people are on this? They're going to have patience for two more years of this stuff. I mean, I know that people who hate Trump will yeah, do it forever. Yeah, exactly. And I know the people who support Donald Trump are going to hate this all the time, and I think they're right to. But what about the people in the middle? You bring up a great point because it's, you know, not just taken away from time and things that the president should be focusing on, but how about things <laughs> that Congress should be focusing on? It's so interesting, you know, uh, you yeah. talk about immigration and they stand up and, you know, uh, gosh, he's, you know, trying to close the border and he wants, you know, he hates immigrants and all this. Well, wouldn't your time then be better suited coming up with an immigration policy? 
Yeah, How come think, they, spend your time legislating? Spend your time trying to push forward some agenda yeah, well, to help think, the country. When you think, yeah. And they won't do that. But yet you want to sit around and for two years we talk about this Mueller report. It comes out, okay, we're not happy with it, but we're going to dig deeper deeper and dig your, your, your hills in the trenches. I just think that as opposed to doing that, you could actually do your job and yeah. legislate the country. No, that's fair enough. Put together some legislation. No, you make a good point. Quite apart from the president's perspective and interfering with his governing ability to govern your own agenda and your own responsibilities mm-hmm. as members of Congress. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. All right, I, I want to, with Joe DeGeneres coming up, I want to get into Joe, with Joe um, what's going to be happening, Chapter 2, if you will, in the Justice Department. And this isn't going to be consuming all the time and energy of the Congress. This is mainly, mostly an inquiry. It's going to be carried on by the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. You have the um, Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, who's mm-hmm. going to come out with his report pretty soon. You have this guy, Huber, who was asked to do it, this guy in Utah. I haven't heard much from him. And then I'm sure Bill Barr, William Barr, the mm-hmm. attorney general, is going to assign people to look into how did this all start. Right. We'll talk about that with Joe DeGenova. But enough on that. I wanted to bring up a couple other things. A lot of interest in the Biden announcement running for president. And I talk about that with John Hinderocker, too. But I was struck by how gloomy it was. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's darkness in America, you know. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's midnight in America, and Joe's going to have to fix it. Um. Not a certainly wasn't a morning in America. No, 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 no. And they teed off on Charlottesville. Now I know it's become an article of faith among some people that Charlottesville was the president's worst moment. Uh, I don't think it was because I think people willfully misinterpreted what he said. He could have been clearer in his condemnation on the first day, in which he said there were good people on both sides. He was talking about as is clear from the context. He was talking about people. Remember why they gathered in Charlottesville. It was about statues, whether to take down statues of, you know, Confederate, Confederate generals, uh, generals or not. And he was saying there were good people on both sides of that debate. He was not saying there were good people who were Nazis and Ku Klux Klan members and white supremacists, as he clarified. Could he have been clear the first time? Sure. Uh, but he shoots fast. He talks fast. He talks on the spur of the moment. But it is unfair to paint him this. You know, one of the things all those nuts who were there... Uh, the right-wing kind, not the left-wing kind, and there were left-wing, plenty of left-wing nuts there too, is uh, one thing that they are is anti-Semitic. It's pretty hard to buy, mm-hmm. along with everything else, that Donald Trump's anti-Semitic with a Jewish son-in-law, Jewish grandchildren. Right. His daughter practices Judaism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little hard to take. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I was uh, kind of surprised to see that. And I wonder if people will um, will talk about this and we'll go back and look at the original comments and Give a fair assessment. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is I heard this morning that California is considering probably will pass a law saying that you can no longer suspend a student in a middle school or high school for the willful defiance of authority and disruption in the classroom. Oh, all right. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to take a wild stab at this. Mm-hmm. You know what I think that's going to lead to? What do you think? More willful defiance <laughs> of authority and more disruption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and do it to me, man. Uh, you know, I, Are we going nuts here? Are we just going nuts in mm-hmm. California? Anyway, hard to believe. Just a little tidbit from uh, from the world of education. Who was it that uh, on the podcast recently said that the thing the left hates the most is authority? So on a previous uh, uh, podcast, if people want to go back to com and check out the episode we did with Dennis Prager, the title is An Examination of the Left. But I referred to an old, now it's 80, so probably 40-year-old statement by Jesse Jackson, 
And you know, this guy was a, a very important and consequential leader in the in the black community, in which he said, uh, first, the most important thing young black kids need to learn is to question authority. Mm. Uh, you know, I I don't think so. I mean, illegitimate authority, sure. But should you really learn to question the authority of a teacher, a parent, right. a teacher? Mm-hmm. Uh, we shall see. Interesting times in which we live. Um, only other comment I'll make is... Bernie Sanders was asked, you know, if his uh, voting felons uh, idea included the Boston bomber. Yeah. He said, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's doing his time, but um, didn't doesn't give up his right to vote. Sure does, I think. Fox showed the pictures of all the people who died and said they lost their right to vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's odd. Now, I noticed they asked a couple other candidates, Kamala Harris. She said, well, I think we should have a conversation about that. <laughs> and then the next day she said, no, no, people convicted of serious crime mm-hmm. should not. So, right. uh, I'm glad she backed off from it. But I'll say this. Bernie has the courage of his convictions. Mm-hmm. As goofy and crazy and irrational, insane as some of them are. Mm-hmm. Which is more than you can say for some of the other candidates. And I think this is what inspires his base. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's why, well, you're going to have to listen to the discussion with John Hinderacher. <laughs> see where it ends up. <laughs> You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. It's time to jump in with John Hinderocker. He's one of the founders of Powerline, one of the most popular sites on the Internet, and the president of the Center of the American Experiment. John, thank you for your time today, and let's get going. Hey, great to be with you, Bill. And you got your big event coming out, right? Yeah, we do. Actually, we had a pretty big event yesterday. We had a lunch forum with Heather McDonald, uh. who was terrific, as always. Uh, and then... Um, uh, in the evening, I, we drove her down to a local college, and she gave a talk there. Allowed to speak? She was. I'll tell you, it was kind of funny, though. My wife and I drove her down there, and they had us park uh, at the loading dock behind the building where the speech was going to yeah. be because yeah. they were concerned about her personal safety. It yeah. was very weird being ushered in by a security guard through the loading dock. Yeah. As it turned out, there wasn't, there wasn't even a protest. You know, it was a, it was a false alarm, but, but a sign of the times. Well, nobody does it quite like Heather. She has a kind of tough, you know, hard, close analysis of these things. She's a really yeah. formidable person. Very impressive. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of uh, academe. Well, but, but Bill, but before we go real quick, uh, what you were referring to is our annual dinner coming up on, on May 18th. I was giving you the chance for the plug, and you, <laughs> you're just like me, John. I go on to talk about my book, and I end up talking about other people's books. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. So May 18th, Saturday night, our, our annual uh, dinner, big event. Uh, we have Candace Owens as our featured speaker and it's gonna it's gonna be just nuclear oh she's great she's great she'll have great stories to tell that's wonderful good for you i, I love the, you know, the the rising generation paying attention to them it's really important uh speaking of the uh oh, can people still get tickets or are you sold out oh no yeah absolutely we're selling tickets like crazy american experiment.org AmericanExperiment.org is our website, and you can buy them online. And there's also a telephone number there if you prefer to just talk to a human being you know, over the phone. That works, too. It's a great evening. I've done it a couple times out there, and it's wonderful. Uh, and you guys are in a you guys are in an interesting area for politics these days, huh, with your congressional representatives and so on? Uh, for whatever reason, it seems like year after year there's interesting political stuff that goes on in Minnesota. Absolutely. Um, anyway, I loved uh, I loved Senator Klobuchar's 
comment the other day. Did you see that? When, when uh, she, which one? She said, I, I've won every district, uh, every county, including Michelle Bachman's. And the audience had no idea who she was talking about. She said, <laughs> you're supposed to applaud that, she said. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> how soon we well, forget. Her campaign, her presidential campaign, seems to have gotten off to kind of a rocky start. Yeah. Uh, don't know if that means anything or not, uh, but so far it doesn't seem to have gone too smoothly. Only you guys out there would think it's charming to start in the middle of a blizzard, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and to have global warming as the big focus. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. Missed the irony there. Yep. Before we get into things Washington, uh, you made reference uh, to one of your colleagues' uh, essays, I think, but it's about a book, a, t- a history textbook. This is my favorite subject, as you know. Uh, tell us about that. What's the name of it? Of the People? Uh, by the People. Yeah, people. By the People. And it turns out the book, it, it, it's, uh, I forget now who published it, but one of the one of the big publishers, and it's written by a commie. This guy, his name is James Fraser, and Paul Mirangoff has written about this a couple of times. This actually is a story. Story that goes back a little ways. This this is something that I think Stanley Kurtz blew the whistle on like yeah. about a year ago, and yeah. Paul has been revisiting here, revisiting it on Powerline here over the last few days. This is this is an AP uh, high school American history book, and it it, it I'm sure it's biased uh, all the way through. Written by this guy who 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 mourns the the fact that eastern europe is no longer communist you know and no, and, no. And, and praises their educational system it was really terrific while it lasted you know so so you know he's written kind of the east german version of american history but the thing that in particular prompted outrage was this book just reciting as fact that donald trump is a racist and that his victory in 2016 was largely attributable to racist voters and, and so forth. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Oh and how God. any publisher uh, could think that this is appropriate for an AP U.S. history textbook, I mean, it's crazy. Well, do you know, I believe it is still the most widely used textbook in, in American high schools on American history. You know the one I'm talking about? Howard Zinn. Oh, is that right? Yeah, Pe- unbelievable. People's History yeah. of the American Republic. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's sold two and a half million copies or something. They ought to be using your book. Well, thank you. That gives me a chance for a plug. Uh, My three-volume America, the Last Best Hope, will be out as one volume uh, in uh, October. And I'll I'll be talking about it, and I'll be pushing it in the schools. But, you know, you got to get by these state textbook adoption committees, and they're not on our team. Uh, You know, my brother is a historian, and uh, he is one of, I think, three authors of one of the high school history books that are in wide use. And uh, I haven't read the whole thing. I, I think there are sections in that book that have got stuff not as bad as the one we were just talking about um, by the people, but sections that I think are objectionable uh, when, when, when they're talking about you know relatively recent history. My brother does uh, uh, colonial and Revolutionary War era history, and I think I think his sections are pretty non you know uh, I, I wouldn't complain about. But I think all these books have probably got some of that bias. Well, it's the academy. And, you know, they bring their biases, and then, you know, what happens in college just trickles down. And, um, you know, when people say to me, um, gee, you know, how can these young people in- engage the idea or entertain the idea of socialism? I say, look what they were taught. Look what they were taught, and look who was teaching them. So, yeah. you know, it's our worst subject. And um, with Santa Ana, when, when, the, when you were taught, you do not know what you can safely believe when you are taught to doubt you do not know what you can safely believe these kids don't know 
American achievement, the American, unique American achievement. And uh, that's a sin. That's a real sin. And it has consequences, you know, in things like elections. Let's talk about uh, elections. There's one coming up in 2020. Democrats are going to make the whole uh, deal here about Donald Trump, so we can tell from Joe Biden's announcement. But dust up uh, just very recently about uh, Don McGahn and the tweets and uh, the president's tweet. Bring us up to date. I missed it. I was having breakfast with your old friend, Paul Ryan. Go ahead. Ah, good. Well, so so this is all fallout from the Mueller report. And... Um the the uh, Democrats are trying to make uh, chicken salad out of uh, chicken, you know what? You know the yeah, right. report was was bitterly disappointing to them. Zero evidence of collusion, which of course we all knew was coming, right? But 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 you know Mueller included all the negative things about Trump that he could uh, in that report, and so now the Democrats are issuing subpoenas from House committees and so forth, and and trying to make something out of these sort of lesser issues that are raised in the Mueller report. And the one that's getting a lot of attention right now is the fact that Don McGahn, former White House counsel, uh, according to the Mueller report, uh, twice, this is the way it's being reported, uh, twice was told by President Trump to to fire uh, Mueller as, as uh, special counsel. And it's kind of an interesting news story. Uh, just this morning, President Trump t- uh, put out two tweets in which he denied that story, attributing it to the uh, fake news media and and pointing out correctly that, number one, if he wanted to fire Mueller, he didn't need Don McGahn to do it. He could have just fired him. Number two, he didn't, you know, which, which to me is the salient point. He didn't fire Mueller. And Mueller acknowledges that all of everybody in, in the Trump administration cooperated fully in his investigation. So mm-hmm. to me, the whole thing is is kind of a non-story. But, but if you drill down a little bit deeper, uh, I don't I don't think it's necessarily true that uh, um, that Trump, uh, that, that what McGahn said is is the way it's being reported and discussed. What, if you actually read the relevant portions of the of the Mueller report, what what McGahn apparently told these investigators was that he had two conversations with Trump on the telephone, in which Trump was urging him to call Rod Rosenstein and try to talk Rod Rosenstein into firing Mueller. Now that's quite different, you know. From from supposedly trying to fire Mueller and failing, you know, and Trump's right about this. Uh, if he had wanted to fire Mueller, he, he wouldn't have tried and failed. You know, he would have fired him. And 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 according to if you actually read again these sections of the Mueller report, what Trump was really talking to McGahn about assuming again is telling the truth and remembering it correctly was was Mueller having a conflict of interest uh Trump was hot about the, the fact as he saw it that Mueller had a conflict and so and so what McGahn has Trump doing is pressing McGahn to talk to Rod Rosenstein and try to convince him that Mueller had a conflict and shouldn't be the special counsel. And and it's noteworthy, I think, that if that let's just assume that happened and let's assume that McGahn actually made the effort, which he didn't and successfully convinced Rod Rosenstein that Mueller had a conflict, that would not bring the investigation to an end. That would just mean that they needed sure. a different special sure. counsel, which Rosenstein then would have appointed. So so I, I think this story is really overblown yeah. and, and to some extent uh, seems to be misrepresented. 
but I also think more fundamentally that the only thing anybody really cared about here was this claim that that uh, Trump people you know colluded with the Russians. Uh, and once you say nope, nothing there didn't happen, I'm not sure many people care much about the rest. I've been going back through uh, various commentary. I went to law school, but never practiced law like you guys. Um, and I do need some help on a couple of things. Now, my professor, Alan Dershowitz, has been very clear, at least to me, he's been very clear, in which he has said the president could fire Mueller if he wanted to. He could pick up the phone and fire Mueller. Article 2, executive power, he can do it. It would mean someone else would probably replace him, but he could do it. And that would not be, could not be obstruction of justice because that's constitutionally approved power. Yes? I think that's, I think that's clearly correct. Uh, just like I always thought it was absurd to say that Trump's firing James Comey, uh, clearly appropriate in my view, right. uh, was somehow obstruction of justice. Trump runs the executive branch. You know, he's got the constitutional right uh, to hire and fire, and he's got the constitutional duty to fire uh, someone like James Comey if he thinks he's doing a poor job as FBI director. And the idea that you can somehow transmute that exercise of his constitutional power and duty into obstruction of justice, I think that's fanciful. Here's where I get confused. I've read some commentators, Jonathan Turley, a couple of other people saying the reason you can't get Trump for obstruction of justice is not what I just said, but because there's no underlying crime of collusion or if not collusion, conspiracy with the Russians. Which is it? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's both, Bill. I, I mean, it's not obvious to me. I, I know a lot of people say that, and you know, and they may be right, but it's not obvious to me that you can't obstruct justice, even though it turns out that no crime was committed. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a kind of, a, this is an example that might come from a law school exam, right? Kind of a crazy hypothetical. But let's just suppose that somebody shoots a guy, right? Shoots a guy. And then there's an investigation into what, what appears to be a murder and that the, the shooter for some reason, you know, um, uh, uh, is, is trying to obstruct justice. Well, let's assume he bribes witnesses, for example, or, or threatens witnesses. Uh, but then as the investigation continues, it turns out that the guy had already died of a heart attack at the time that he was shot. And that would preclude the shooter from being prosecuted for murder. In my opinion, um, you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily uh, preclude him from being prosecuted for obstruction of justice uh, because he tried to obstruct the investigation. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I know a lot of people say that if there's no crime, there can be no obstruction. I don't know if there's any case law on that. But to me, it's not obvious that that's true. Uh, Dershowitz, in his introduction to the report, says there is case law going in the direction you just described, but it's all incorrect, he says. <laughs> so, I mean, that's Harvard Law School, you know, after all. Um, okay, but, but the point is... Um, there was no underlying crime, so, okay, he could still be obstructing justice, but he can't be obstructing justice by exercising Article Two constitutional rights. Well, that's certainly my view. So, so what's the Congress doing with McGahn? Supposing he says, yeah, the president said, yeah, I said Rosenstein, but then he also said I want him fired, and, and, he, and I am effed and all these other things. So what? Well, that's my reaction, Bill. I mean, you know, we're in for a year and a half here of a political battle between uh, President Trump and the uh, House Democrats now in the majority. We're going to see an endless series of stories about 
uh, witnesses who refuse to testify, documents that don't get turned over, uh, you know, battles over over you know these these congressional hearings, and 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 I noticed in my hometown newspaper uh, yesterday there's this big front page, middle of the front page, about uh, about uh, you know somebody refusing to Trump refusing to cooperate in some House investigation, and it's kind of ironic, Bill, because you know I'm so old I can remember the Obama administration, right, <laughs> and and the Obama yeah. administration never cooperated in any investigation, and they ran out the clock on all of them. They successfully just stalled and stonewalled and didn't produce stuff and didn't cooperate. And eventually Obama's second term was over and it all became moot. You know, uh, Eric Holder actually uh, was cited for contempt of Congress. Yes, sir. A bipartisan vote. 17 Democrats in the House voted to find uh, criminal uh, contempt uh, of Congress against uh, against Eric Holder. Now, you know, that was not treated with the same uh, level of uh, excitement, you know, <laughs> right. that we're seeing and no, we're going no, no. to see right. when the press reports on the inevitable battles between Trump and the and the House Democrats. <laughs> and but I guess but the bottom line, this is all political, Bill. You know, it's all right. political. Sure. And it all has to do with whether Trump gets a second term. And uh, I, my guess is that the voters don't care a lot about this kind of thing. That they correctly perceive it as being 100 percent political. Uh, but, but nevertheless, it's the, it's the fight we're going to see. Um, did you, uh, b- before we go to that, cause I do want to go to that. Do you think that Mueller punted as some people are saying that he should have come out yes or no on obstruction Well, or did so he come my, out? No on obstruction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I, I, I confess I haven't plowed through that entire report. Um, you know, my, my partner, Paul Marengoff is one of those who would say that Mueller, uh, punted, uh, the idea that he he laid out evidence that could be construed as evidence of obstruction of justice, you know, according to according to Mueller, but doesn't reach any conclusion, but just gives that to the attorney general, who obviously was going to conclude, no, there wasn't any obstruction of justice. I think it's fair to say that he punted that his special counsel. Uh, that's part of his job, uh, and you know, and and you can these these presidential investigations you could argue are sui generis, right? But but in general, prosecutors don't um, publicly lay out a bunch of evidence uh, in in situations where they've decided not to charge anybody, you know. Uh, you could argue this is a different a different situation, yeah. and maybe it is, but it certainly is not the usual course to say, I'm going to give you 250 pages of stuff that's anti-Trump, you know, but I'm not going to draw, I'm not going to come to a conclusion, you know, which, which I think would almost have to be that Trump did not, in fact, uh, obstruct justice. Let's go to your point. I have a somewhat different read, but maybe it coincides with yours is consistent with it. But tell me, you said people are going to perceive these as this upcoming all, all that's going on, the subpoenas and so on from Elijah Cummings, from Jerry Nadler, as political. By the way, uh, am I right? Uh, Bill Clinton, during his uh, stuff, did, did, did not was not cooperative in the way the Trump administration was. Do I remember that correctly? Are you that old to remember that? <laughs> you know, I, Bill, I'm old enough that I remember the Clinton administration, but I'm also old enough that I've forgotten some of those details. <laughs> I just don't remember to what extent. You know, he and his aides uh, cooperated uh, in, in those investigations. I think, they, I think they stiffed him a lot more than, than than this administration did. I think this administration, you know, 
gave gave almost everything it was asked for. Anyway. Well, and, and Mueller acknowledges that, and this is why I think the whole obstruction thing is so is so stupid, right? I mean, Mueller specifically acknowledges that the Trump administration cooperated fully in his investigation. Is as far as I'm concerned, end of conversation. Yeah. Okay. Right on that one. And also, let me let me use that as a segue to the larger question: Is it end of conversation in terms of the public? I think so. Not. Just because they'll view it as political, they view it all, all as political, but they view both sides as political. But another reason, two years, all we heard about was collusion, 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 conspiracy, collusion, cons- conspiracy, collusion. So much was said that when that turned out not to be the case, Democrats said, like Roseanne, Rosanna, Dan on Saturday Night Live, never, was it never mind, right? Never mind. Um, yeah. But the public had heard this for two years. And says, wait, wait a minute. If there wasn't any, there wasn't any. And two points. Uh, then I think a lot of the public will say, let's move on. And then they see this. They say, well, what are we going to do? Spend two years now on obstruction? I, I don't think they have the interest in it. I, well, that's my view, uh, Bill. I mean, I, I think that um, there was a lot of interest in collusion, even though t- for, to me it seemed obvious from the beginning that, that, that there wasn't any evidence of it and there wasn't going to be any evidence of it. Um, I, but I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that that's what people thought correctly the investigation was all about. And if the bottom line is no collusion, it's time to move on to something else. Let me let me get into politics here for a second. Um, also, uh, today, um, Joe Biden uh, did, released a videotape. Uh, two, two questions uh, that deal with the second, with the first one second, which is Joe Biden's prospects. I'd like to your read on that. First question, his centerpiece was Charlottesville. Two questions about that. Is that smart and is it fair to Donald Trump? Well, it certainly isn't fair. You know, I haven't watched that video yet, you know, so I don't know exactly what he says about about Charlottesville, you know certainly isn't fair. I mean, Trump had nothing to do with Charlottesville and, and didn't do anything discreditable in connection, you know, with that. Well, what do you mean? What he said was, you know, you know, there are good people on both sides, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and you know, this is a classic example of how people deliberately uh, misconstrue or pretend to misconstrue uh, things that Trump says and then blast him for something that he didn't actually say. What Trump said was that there were fine people on both sides of the statue controversy. That's what he was talking about. And that's right. You know, there are good people who say, you know, take down the statues of Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee and 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 so forth. Uh, and there's other good people who say, well, wait a minute, this is part of our history. And, you know, well, having statues up of these people, uh, it doesn't, does, it's not an endorsement yeah. of slavery, yeah. you know, but these are people who are considered heroes uh, in, in their region and in their, in their time. And that's what Trump was talking about. They're fine people on both sides of that controversy, which is what the Charlottesville thing was all about. That, that, you know, it was a statue controversy that gave rise right. to, you know, uh, those dueling uh, demonstrations. I agree. I agree. And, um, you know, who did an interesting column on this. I'm going to put a link up, Claude, to this on our site, was Scott Adams, you know, the guy who does Dilbert, the cartoon yeah. strip. He did an interesting column on this, making the same point. Problem was, and I'm a defender of the president on most things, president didn't make that clear in his first statement. He could have been clear. He, he didn't use the words. So you're, you're right, Bill. I thought it was clear. I mean, I, I didn't have a hard time understanding what he was talking about. 
But you know, this is this is one thing about Trump. Um, you know, he is not the most articulate guy, like a lot of business people. You know, the most successful businessmen are, you know, he's not a politician. And Trump does sometimes get himself into trouble, and then other times he gets his opponents into trouble, you know, because he, often uh, things that he says are, are, are unclear, you know. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a feature of the way that he talks, and I, and I agree that he could have been. He, if, if, he'd, if he had simply rephrased that sentence, you know, he could have precluded any any misunderstanding I reconstruct it you had this scene and of course it ends with the death of this young woman and we see these you know uh, guys you know Nazi followers or whatever white supremacists and then we see some really rough looking guys on the left the young woman dies and all anybody sees is um, it, it, it focuses on because the media is the death of this woman and these white supremacists being quoted the next thing we hear is the president saying there are good people on both sides. Everybody says, oh, he's talking about, he's talking about the white supremacists, the Klansmen, and, and, and the anti-Semites. No, he wasn't. But, you know, what, should you be clear? Sure, but he doesn't do that all the time. He shoots from the hip. He later clarified that, I think, very well. But that was, I think that was the problem. And, uh, yeah, people are then deliberately, deliberately misconstruing it. I didn't realize. I think think that's right. I think the misconstruction is deliberate. And I I didn't realize to what degree this was one of the sort of the touchstones of the whole Democratic opposition, Democrat opposition. But it clearly is, since if you look at the Biden three minutes, this is the centerpiece, John. Yeah. You know, I mean, a couple of thoughts about that, Bill. Um, Bear in mind that Biden's target audience is, uh, at this point, is, is Democratic primary voters. Yes, sir. And and Biden's mission is to convince those uh, primary voters that um, that he's not some kind of a moderate who's been in the Senate for his entire adult life, you know, and is part of the establishment, part of the swamp, you know, uh, a guy with a kind of a checkered past when it comes to racial issues in particular. He wants to convince the Democratic Party base that he's just as crazy as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez right. and Ilhan Omar. You know, that's mm-hmm. his mission. And, and I think, you know, at, at this stage in, in that primary, it's all about how much you can hate Donald Trump. I mean, I think even in the general election, whoever gets that nomination is going to try to make the election a referendum on, on Trump. And so it's not surprising that a guy like Biden would pick out something like Charlottesville and 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 make it the centerpiece of his his video and and so forth. Uh, I think that's exactly the kind of thing that all these candidates are are going to be doing. Well, I have a I have a recommendation for you guys if you're interested in terms of the Biden history. Now, this is personal, so I may be exaggerating its importance. You may recall I was the first drug czar. You remember that? We were actually pretty effective, too. We, we did some good work and got the numbers down. Joe Biden was the guy who confirmed me to Senate Judiciary Chair. And he was the guy who did a kind of running commentary on my tenure. Now, I don't know if you know what the left thinks of my tenure as drugs are, but they thought I was really bad. Really bad. Joe Biden, uh, I've got the clip from C-SPAN, um, says, uh, I, I like your budget, uh, Mr. Bennett, but you're not putting enough money in law enforcement. Okay. Joe, Joe moved to my right on law enforcement. How do you think that'll play with the primary voters? Yeah, any kind words about law enforcement are, are forbidden, uh, you know. Uh, kind words about Bill Bennett, for God's sake, says drugs are. Yeah, that's, well, that's true, that's true. 
any, anyway, you know, he's got a he's got a lot to answer for, and um, I just, I, you know, is he going to act like he's woke? Well, sure. He, of course, he is. He has to. Here's my opinion, for what it's worth, Bill. I mean, there's probably like 30 people have entered that race, and I don't think anyone has any any idea who's going to come out on top. I certainly don't. But I do. I will say this. I think it's highly unlikely that the Democrats wind up nominating an old white man. Yeah, uh, it's just not going to happen in my in my view. I don't think it's going to be uh, Joe Biden, and I also don't think it's going to be Bernie Sanders. Yeah. You know, th- those two are on top of the polls, uh, somewhat to the discomfiture of the identity politics folks. You know, <laughs> but I think at this stage, that's basically name recognition and and little else. I I, I really think the Democrats are going to reach deep into that pool. Someone is going to catch their fancy, and and I think um, I don't know who it is. Mayor yeah. Pete? Uh, I don't think so. I could be wrong again. I I don't think so. Kamala Harris? Yeah, I think she's got a good shot. I think she's got a very, very now on that shot. one, John. I would really like to hear my chairman, Mister Biden, address the question of releasing these major drug dealers from prison just because they were quote nonviolent close quote. Yeah. Um, and Harris, of course, is running as fast as she can away from her own law enforcement path. I know, uh, I know. But but I I know I I think she is one of the uh, candidates uh, likely to be a, a finalist. Uh, but we'll see. All right, here's the only thing we're going to wrap this up so you can go back to planning your hors d'oeuvres for your dinner. No, I know you don't. Do that. I know you don't do that. You're the, you're the big thinker. But you do as a president, you do have to deal with details, don't you? Well, uh, I don't tend to deal with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I ran a I ran a center, and I remember someone told me, "No job too small, Mister Secretary." You know, anyway. So uh, here I, we do have one disagreement. I think I think Bernie. If I had to bet right now, I think Bernie will get it because it's not just name recognition with him; it's passion. He's got a large and passionate, convicted, as we now say, base. Some of them are convicts, actually. Um, I mean, what the heck was that about the Boston bomber, for God's sakes? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, um, you always, you know, it's sort of a, you know, it's a common idea in, in the world of political science that there's a hazard that you go too far to the edge to try to get a nomination, and then you have to dash back toward the center yeah. to try to win the general election. And I've never been totally a believer in that in that uh, idea. But man, oh man, I mean, these Democrats that are saying some things now and are going to say some things, you know, in this, in this primary race, that I think is going to be hard to explain when they go before the larger body of voters. But Bernie's got a base, and they are fervent, and he's got a lot of contributors, and they felt they were stolen from last time. They're not going to be stolen from this time. And the way the Democrat primaries work, you know, Bernie's going to have pretty strong support in almost every state because he's been building it for a long time. Well, one thing that my what I just said, you know, about about the race doesn't take into account probably uh, is the foreshortened nature of the primaries. Now, I haven't really studied these numbers, but I believe it's true on, in both parties. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's true that the that that the process keeps getting shortened, and more and more delegates are are being selected early on. Um, and if if that's right, uh, then then your point is well taken that a guy who already has organizations in all the states, who's got high name recognition, who's got a passionate base, 
uh, you may be right. You know, he, he may be able to swoop in and, and take a heck of a lot of delegates uh, early on before the sort of dark horses have a chance to really uh, make their make their cases. I'll tell you this, though, Bill, what I'm really hoping for is an open convention. I mean, we haven't had an open convention since when? I don't know, San Francisco yeah. in the Republican side? Yeah. When was that? I forget. 70, was 76 an open convention? I, no, I don't remember. Ford didn't necessarily go to the convention. With yeah. votes. I, I can't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. In any event, uh, it's been a long, long time. And uh, talk talk about potential for adverse political fallout. Can you imagine if it's an open convention and Bernie Sanders goes in with the largest number yeah, of delegates yeah. and doesn't come out with the nomination? Yeah, then they won't vote. A lot of those people will not vote. They'll be so mad right. this time. Some Apparently a lot of them didn't vote last time for Hillary. So we'll yeah, see. that's a scenario we can be rooting for. No, I know. But I, I'll say one thing for me. He went on Fox the other night. The guy, you know, a lot of these candidates are saying something on Tuesday, then backing off from it Wednesday. He says it Tuesday and doubles down on Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, he, he has got he has got a view of the world steady and whole and totally crazy. But yeah. um, but boy, he's sticking to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll see. Uh, uh, I mean, you know. You know, the, the, the contrast between the parties in terms of, the, of nominations is, is really interesting. If you look at the post-war era, generally speaking, the Republicans have boringly nominated the next guy in line, the guy who finished second last time, yeah. the guy who was the vice president, yeah. the guy who was the obvious favorite. You know, they do that with just you know boring regularity, except, of course, for 2016 when they didn't do it. Yeah, that's for sure. The Democrats have this history of, you know, they, they're, they don't like the old established names. You know, they like the dark horses. And so... You know they'll 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 go with a uh, a Jimmy Carter, a Bill Clinton. You know who was considered a nobody when the when the race began. Barack Obama really was in that category. Uh, but again, they flipped in 2016. They did what the Republicans usually do, and and they went with the kind of boring, obvious candidate, uh, Hillary Clinton. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, in 2020 whether the Democrats. Uh, you know, uh, go with one of the old familiar names like they did in 2016 or whether they revert to their historic pattern, you know, uh, of, of wanting to dip into the pack and nominate a, uh, a dark horse. Well, you're looking to the convention for fun. I am looking to the next few months. I want to see in chapter and verse Joe Biden doing uh, a woke impersonation. <laughs> you know, talking talking the lingo and stuff. I just want to see it. <laughs> Who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Yeah, well, we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> hey, John, thank you very much. Have a splendid dinner. Tell us once more if people want to come to the great dinner. Candace Owens on uh, May 18, downtown Minneapolis, the Hilton Hotel. That's a Saturday night, and tickets are available at AmericanExperiment.org. It's a splendid event. Been there many times, and it's a splendid event. Congratulations, and thank you, John. Thank you, Bill. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's welcome, for the first time to the show, Joe DeGeneva. Joe is a legal analyst, former U.S. Attorney of the District of Columbia. Let's get into it. You've been uh, really uh, good on this stuff and smart, and you know Washington and justice and the Justice Department. And I want to focus on just a couple of aspects of what's going on. We are weary, I think, the country, of what's happened the last two years. 
I think that's right. I mean, I know Trump supporters certainly are. I know that people who hate Donald Trump are not and will take this to the end of time. Do you have any idea where the people in the middle are? Um, I think they are agnostic. Okay. And if there is a moment of revelation uh, that shows them something happened to their democracy that they need to get out of their torpor over, they will respond. And that's what I want to get into. That's what I want to get into with you. Um, absolutely. And, and, and we shall see what happens. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Michael Horowitz is the inspector general of the Department of Justice. He's going to issue a report. Do you have any idea what's going to happen in there? Well, he's going to issue a report that everyone has been anticipating at the end of May or the beginning of June, which is about the FISA court abuses during the Obama administration. I expect the report to be what can only be described as blistering. It huh. will be a, an indictment, not literally legally, although it will refer people for indictment. It will be a blistering indictment of the stewardship of the Obama administration, FBI, and Department of Justice of their relationship with the FISA court. And the reason is, we know this as a matter of fact, because it is a little known public fact that on April 26, 2017, the FISA court itself issued a 98-page order in which it accused the Obama administration DOJ and FBI of four years of illegal spying on Americans. They accused the Obama Justice Department of a, quote, lack of institutional candor, quote, unquote, with the FISA court. That is to be read as you lied to us, folks, and we don't like it. What happened was that the Obama people in 2012 started giving access to the national security agents super secret databases about Americans' electronic communication. This is the most closely held and sensitive information that the National Security Agency holds. That information was given illegally to four private contractors. I have a pretty good idea who they are, but the court will announce who they are, uh, or rather, Mr. Horowitz will announce who they are when he issues his report. It is believed that those people were then used to unmask a series of Americans, mostly government officials, leak information about them from those classified intercepts to the press and start a political battle. And also were used by Mr. Brennan overseas to entice one of our most dearly beloved foreign intelligence partners to spy on Americans overseas. I expect the report to be devastating And I expect Mr. Horowitz to make multiple criminal referrals to all the people involved in this illegal spying. Wow. Is what you've just said, um, let me break it into both two parts. One, what occurred, according to you, and what you predict will happen. Is what occurred public, part of the public record, everything you've just recounted? What we know from the public record is actually quite astonishing because it's been ignored by almost everyone in the press, including the conservative press. And that is because the FISA court ruling in 2017 is written in a very turgid, professional intelligence community prose. But when you take it apart, uh, it is quite frightening. Uh, 
it is hard to believe that a four-year span of illegal buying on Americans' electronic communications went on without a single lawyer in the Justice Department trying to stop it. Um, what is fascinating about that is that the person who found out about it is Admiral Mike Rogers, the former head of the National Security Agency. He is a great American hero. And when this story is finally written in, in, in its final form, he will be viewed as a great American hero. He had a little compliance officer come to him and say, uh, Admiral, I, I'm seeing some stuff here that just bothers me. Can I, can I do an audit? And the Admiral looked at what he found. He says, uh, let's, let's do more than that. Let's do a complete audit. He did it. He discovered the illegality. And then he did something that was amazing. He went to the FISA court on his own without telling the Department of Justice because he knew that people in the FBI and the Department of Justice had lied to the FISA court. He went to Judge Collier. He briefed her. And he basically at that point exploded the entire scheme. This information was so sensitive that he absolutely he shut down the entire program as a result of these disclosures. In other words, he told the FBI and the Department of Justice that no private contractor for the foreseeable future would have access to NSA databases. Judge Collier then wrote her opinion, a scathing indictment of, without mentioning the names, Sally Yates, the Deputy Attorney General, John Carlin, the Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division responsible for all FISA applications, and a group of senior officials at the FBI. Uh, as a result of that, um, Carter Ash, who was the De Secretary of Defense, and John Clapper tried to get President Obama to fire Admiral Rogers. The, to his credit, and it's about the only thing that he gets credit for in this, uh, President Obama declined because he knew that if he did fire him, uh, the Admiral would go to the Hill and it would be a disaster. Uh, interestingly enough, um, that has, that's all on the public record, believe it or not. That's not something that I had to do a lot of digging. It's there. Where are they going to read this? Where can we find this? I would refer them to the single best reporting on this, which is done at something called The Last Refuge, published by the Conservative Treehouse. It is a free site. Uh, it has the single, and then th that's, that's the first place. It's called Last Refuge, The Conservative Treehouse. The second place to the second place to go, which has some fabulous uh, separate reporting with some incredible chronologies, is The Market's Work. And the author is a Mr. Jeff Carlson. Um, he's a retired financial analyst, good with numbers and a pretty good brain. The Market's Work, Jeff Carlson. Got it. Okay. Uh, the, the, the thing about this that's so fascinating, Bill, is that I, I, did, I did last night, I did Laura Ingram. and. Uh, with Mike Huckabee, and he substituted, and I talked about this, and it was like it was a revelation to everybody on that set. And I'm saying to myself, what are these people doing? Yeah. How, how come nobody knows about yeah. this? And then also for your for your listeners, there will be a an earlier report than the one about this. In other words, uh, Horowitz is going to issue this Pfizer report at the end of May or the beginning of June. In two weeks, he's going to issue a little remembered Inspector General's report about one person, James Comey. That report will be separate from the FISA report and will be the first report since the last big one. Let me mention another name here. Someone I used to work with, William Barr, 
Attorney General, I said, what, a week, 10 days ago, that uh, the world turned, the wheel turned when Bill Barr said spying went on. Um, I was I was asked to explain what I said, and I said, we've been on, a president and the president's team and those who defend him been on defense for two years. We just went on offense. You could see the shock in the questioners, the Democrat questioners. Was I right or in some way right? A, B, what's the attorney general going to do? Is it redundant, given what you just said about Michael Horowitz? Uh, first of all, you were absolutely right. When Bill Barr, we, we recommended Bill Barr to the president, my wife, Victoria Tunsing, and I. Good. We urged him Good. to pick a man of integrity. And, and, and then, of course, that, that's always the most important tr- character trait. But then the second most important was you must pick someone that the FBI and the Department of Justice career people will fear, underscore fear. And they are scared to death in those two buildings. Because what Bill Barr is going to do, as he said, we have, in a very nice way, I'm, I'm going to have to try and understand just how this happened. And to that, to me, that means there's only one way you do that. And that is you have to restore accountability to the two most powerful agencies in the U.S. government next to the Defense Department, the FBI and the Department of Justice, who have the power to investigate and destroy the lives and reputations of ordinary Americans. And the only way to do that is to have a federal criminal investigation. And in order to do it and restore confidence in the DOJ and the FBI, it must be done by the career people in the FBI and the Department of Justice, not another Bob Mueller and Andrew Weissman. If they can't get this one right, they should all be fired. But Excuse me, but tell me why. Uh, this is just kind of a jurisdictional question, a venue question. Why can't Horowitz do this? Because, number one, he can only interview people who are still employed by the FBI and the Department of Justice. I see. Once they're gone, they can tell him to go to hell. He has no subpoena power, and he can't convene a grand jury. He is a disciplinarian, an internal disciplinarian. He has no law enforcement power. He has the authority to blame people publicly, to criticize them, and even to accuse them of, of horrendous conduct, and then the only thing he can do is refer it to the Department of Justice for criminal investigation, which he will do, by the way, in both the Comey investigation and the FISA investigation. He will make criminal referrals in both of those reports. If you don't want to go out on the slim, fine. Other than what you've said already, what do you think Barr, the people Barr assigns to this, or Barr himself acting through these people, will find? What will they find? Yep. They will find that over a six to seven year period, the Department of Justice and the FBI were totally politicized and weaponized to accommodate the interests of the president of the United States at the time, Barack Obama, and that in that effort, Eric Holder, the then attorney general, followed by Loretta Lynch with a group of acolytes at the senior levels of the DOJ and the FBI, carried out a series of actions which led to the massive violation of privacy rights of Americans, led to the illegal conduct of spying on the electronic communications of Americans, led to the leaking of that highly classified information to the press to do damage to individuals. And the biggest, one of the biggest leaks was a leak to David Ignatius of the Washington Post about a conversation that Michael Flynn had with Ambassador Kislyak. It, this all began to be in an effort to destroy not only a sitting president, President Trump, 
but it was an effort to destroy him during the campaign, after his election, and then after his installation as president. It is a very scary scenario. It is seven days in May all over again. It is very ugly. And what is so tragic and disturbing about it to me is the willful blindness of the mainstream media that simply doesn't want to admit that their guy, Obama, could allow this to happen. And make no mistake about it, he knew all about it. What makes you say that? Because on January the 20th, Susan Rice wrote an email that if it weren't so stupid for its existence, it would be brilliant. She wrote an email for the record. Historians will ask themselves why. That said, there was a meeting that I had, Susan Rice, with the President of the United States, Vice President, James Clapper, William Brennan, James Copey, Comey, Sally Yates, in the White House to discuss the electronic communication from John Brennan that started the counterintelligence investigation. And the the email goes on and on. And, And then there was a second meeting on that very same day of just a few people, not the whole big crowd from the intelligence and law enforcement community, in which the president addressed everyone and said, make no mistake about it, I'm sure all of this was done, quote, by the book, end quote. Now, the only reason you write that memo is as a justification for what had gone before. Personally, it's like Don McGahn and his stupid notes. I would have never taken those notes as White House counsel that he took with the president of the United States. And as far as Susan Rice writing this memo, if she hadn't written that memo, no one would know that that January 5th meeting had occurred. But it's now it's history, and it's a devastating piece of physical evidence. And by the way, remember what was authorized here. Official intelligence spying, counterintelligence operations using assets, informants, spies, and electronic surveillance, FISA, plus electronic surveillance by GCHQ, the NSA equal in, in London, on American citizens. You do not spy on the campaign of the opposing party's candidate without the knowledge and the approval of the president of the United States. You do not do that. Let me go back to where we started. Um, by the way, are you writing a book? No. Okay. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a talker. I'm not a writer. Okay, but who, who will write this book? I may end up writing it. But okay. You know, a couple of books have already been written that are pretty good. But, but to me, Bill, you know, this, the American people don't read. I know. They listen. Thank God, at least at least a little bit. Thank God for your podcast and the world that exists out there of good thought. This needs to be talked about now nonstop until we finally get some people in the mainstream media to appreciate. Look, guys, you may hate Donald Trump. You may despise him. You may think he's a Bulgarian. Yeah. This is not about him. This is about the Constitution. This was a coup d'etat. Make no mistake about it. This was an attempt to dethrone a sitting president duly elected by the president. Now, people like Charles Lane may think that, well, you know, even though he won the Electoral College, but, you know, he's really not legitimate because he didn't win the popular vote. I couldn't believe last night on Brett Baer's show listening to him say this, condescending. And that's what we're fighting. We're fighting this incredible insouciance, this unbelievable sickness from the mainstream media that it doesn't matter because of who the victim was. My God, we're all victims. Yeah. Do you know that interesting number about the popular vote? The three million, all in California, that in the other 49? Yeah. Trump won the popular <laughs> vote in the other 49. 
I mean, not not in every single state, but all total together. No. Yeah. Let me ask you one thing, and then I want to get back to the question we started with, Joe. Uh, I'm just curious, where does Strzok, Page, and McCabe fit into this and the, quote, insurance policy? Well, they were all aware of this. Um, they were all aware of the plot. They were all aware they were all aware of the use of the counterintelligence surveillance activities. They were they were aware that the Pfizer's were falsely obtained. They 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 were all in at the beginning, starting with the Hillary Clinton email server investigation and then transitioning as a team into the crossfire hurricane uh, investigation of president elect uh, candidate Trump, president elect Trump and then president Trump. So they all are central to the, the entire story. And by the way, I would immunize them immediately. Uh, the first witness in the grand jury would be Admiral Rogers, who would set up the basis for the, the illegal spying. And then you'd bring in a bunch of, you have to figure out who you're going to immunize. And all, all those people, uh, Page, um, Strzok, uh, uh, James Baker, you have to decide how many of them you're going to immunize and how many you're going to indict. McCabe? No, I wouldn't immunize McCabe. No, he's evil. Strzok is evil, too. I would not immunize him. Page, I would immunize. Uh, Admiral Rogers doesn't need to be immunized. Uh, you might, uh, you know, Brennan is so central to this that you would never immunize him because no. he's the ringleader. Then let me come back to my threshold question. When I asked you, where's the sure. public on this? A lot of people, I think, are not going to be interested in what Jerry Nadler and uh, Elijah Cummings and others are going to try to do the next couple of years because they're done with it. What's to say that same impatience isn't going to apply to this? We've heard enough about all this. Let's move on. Well, that is certainly a possibility. However, it's irrelevant because there is a duty uh, okay. to the body politic and a duty to our constitutional system to, to get these answers out in the public. Um, I genuinely believe that the American people, once they hear the full story, are going to be shocked, they're going to be angry, and they might even be a little frightened. Um, I think one look at Admiral Rogers in a public setting after he's testified before a grand jury will shake people to the core. This, this is one of the most outrageous abuses of power in the history of our country. And it is only because uh, we had a president who got a pass from the media for eight years, Barack Obama, uh, and left very popular, which is fine, that a lot of people don't want to touch this. Unfortunately, we have a constitution and a system. And when the Department of Justice and the FBI are used and weaponized to violate rights and to destroy people, to destroy people, that must never stand. And that it may be a long fight, but I, I believe me. Thank God for Bill Barr. I, you know, I had, I said a novena. Oh, I, I said, I said a novena when he was, when he was nominated. <laughs> Still stay with the same question. Whether a lot of people are interested or not, are you confident that this story will be told? That it will see the light of day in all its fullness? Absolutely. And and it's it's only because President Trump made the very wise decision to appoint Bill Barr. Mm -hmm. No one could could withstand uh, what has already come down the pike for him, and he's, he's withstood it beautifully. And as I said to someone yesterday, don't poke that bear. Do That's not right. poke that bear. That's funny you said that. I was asked, uh, you know him? I said, yeah, I know him. So what's he like? I said, he's a growling bear with a first-rate brain. <laughs> bear comes to mind, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for all you do. That does it for today's show. Claude, to catch up on previous episodes of the show, in case you need to, Claude, I want you to go to BillBennettShow.com. Right. You can follow me and Claude on Twitter. Right, yeah. 
at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. And it's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with family and friends. We'll catch up next week. Thank you.